get up, get, get up, get up. What's up, Mets Up fans? We are back with a bonus episode, our first bonus episode. This one was so much fun. We got to interview Todd Zeal and David Cohn. So we're going to go ahead and talk about that real quick, just because what an awesome experience. Our first time doing interviews with former players, because we talked to Trevor May earlier mm-hmm. in the offseason. How'd you feel? Todd Zeal was great. Todd Zeal was awesome. And Todd Zeal is someone that was a player when we were a kid, yeah. someone we had some exposure to, probably a little more than David Cohn, probably a tiny bit before our time, but just really good to get the perspective of someone who's been on so many teams, so many organizations, has had relationships with so many different people inside the game and not in the game, which yeah. we learned also. Yeah, no, they have a lot of great insight for you guys, and we're excited for you to hear it. So let's go ahead and get to those interviews. All right, guys, so we're here today with David Cohn. We have a fantastic interview. Get to ask him a little bit about the Mets and what his Mets experience was like playing with them right before the Sunday night baseball game. So David, first off, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, the Mets have had quite a year. And the pitching has been kind of stealing the show a little bit. Who's been the most impressive Mets pitcher you think this year? Well, it's, I mean, just Scherzer, right? It's going to be Max, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge fan of his. He's, yeah. he's a generational pitcher. He's going to the Hall of Fame. So uh, the thing that amazes me about him is that he, he hasn't lost a step. He still uh-huh. looks the same. Uh-huh. And I find that pretty remarkable. Absolutely. Um, back in Queens, City Field, not necessarily your home, but we know the Mets was a place, playing with the Mets, this was a place you did call home for a while. What's the difference between announcing a national game on Sunday night baseball compared to your usual gig announcing for the Yankees for the New York fans? You know, it's similar. I think the both, both New York broadcasts, either an SNY or, or the S Network, are, are kind of almost like national broadcasting. The, the production value, the number of cameras, you know, it does sort of feel, have that feel of a big game like a national yeah. broadcast does. But you definitely take a more bird's eye view of, of, of everybody in the whole league and mm-hmm. try to keep, you know, try to be more broad in your approach as opposed to, you know, specifically for your fan base. Mm-hmm. You came to the Mets after the uh, big 86 season. What was it like to get into that locker room with all the veteran presence that they had and after such a crazy year with that team? Yeah, that, that was a crazy year, 87. I mean, um, I didn't think I was going to make the team first. Uh-huh. You know, you, how do you crack the 86 Mets? Yeah. There's no there's no room on that team. So, uh, you know, I made the team, luckily. Um, got hurt early in the year trying to bunt. Just, you know, fra- fractured my hand, my, wow. my pinky, and uh, came back. And uh, it was an unusual year because everybody in the rotation that year got hurt. The entire starting rotation got hurt that year. And so that was a devastating year, you know, coming off the 86 team. I still say if there was a wild card back then in that era that we would have had a, a few more shots at the playoffs, it might have been a different story. You know, but you know, it wasn't to be back then. The Mets, as I'm sure you know, pitched a no-hitter on Friday night. And in tennis for that was an unbelievable experience. It's hard to have an interview with you without talking about the perfect game. So coming from the other side, the player's perspective, what is going through your mind as those innings start ticking away and you're realizing what could potentially be happening? Oh, especially with the Mets, it's the historical nature of it. Um, We all wanted to be the first guy for the Mets to throw a no-hitter. We all wanted to be that guy. Dwight Gooden and I talked about it. Really? Fernandez and I talked about it. Wow. We all all had several chances. I had maybe a half a dozen games as a Met from the seventh inning on or so that that something happened. There was one that got broken up in the eighth inning. I still remember. Wow. I could tell you about it. Who who broke it up? Benny DeStefano, against <laughs> the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates back then. It was in the eighth inning. So I think he's a New Yorker. I he's a New York kid. Yeah, he threw him a splitter. Up. He cued it off the end of the bat. It died on the third baseline. Wow. Was, that's how the no-hitter broke yeah. up then. We all wanted to be the first guy to do yeah. it. Johan was. so, uh, And then you know, the fact that it's a combined no-hitter is okay. It's still historical. It still should be celebrated. For sure. 
you had a pretty awesome start too. last game of the 91 season going up against the Phillies struck out 19. Was that a day that like you just felt different? You thought you were going to be able to just dominate like that? I think that was the last day of the season and the bags were packed. It was one of those ones where everybody's mind was elsewhere, you know, on the post, on the, on, you know, postseason. If you're not, you know, in the playoffs, obviously you're going golfing. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think that was it. There was a rookie lineup, a lot of young guys. It was the last day of the season. There was a lot of free swinging going on that day. So, yeah, it was a, it was kind of, you know, the, the what was going on that day kind of fit into that 19 strikeout game. Nice. Those are one of our last questions uh, for you. Thank you again for taking time to talk to us. But you were traded from the Mets to the Blue Jays in 1992 season. You were one of the premier trade deadline acquisitions that year. How does it feel being that player that a team you know was like sending off a good asset to get you? It turned out to be Jeff Kent, a pretty yeah. solid ball player. So yeah. how does it feel that pressure and then jumping right into a pretty intense race like that? It's tremendous pressure, really, as you feel it when you go there because the, the, the team that you're traded to is in the race. They're in the middle of a pennant race and they really expect you to come through to, to be a difference maker for them. Yeah. So you, you certainly feel that. And at the time too, I was coming up on free agency. So it was a kind of the double yeah. double edged sword there. You want to help your new team and, and, and really come through for them. And at the same time, you're trying to set your future up too as well. Yeah. And your first shot at free, at free agency. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah, David, thank you so much for taking this interview. We really do appreciate it. And uh, let's go Mets. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, welcome back to the Mets Up Podcast. We have an awesome interview today talking to former Met, currently SNY analyst, Todd Zeal. Going to ask him a couple questions, talk about his Mets experience, talk about his career as a baseball player. Todd, first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Really do appreciate you My taking pleasure. the time. My pleasure. I love your setup here, man. It's yeah. outstanding. Yeah, this, is, this is actually all of our equipment. That's <laughs> a big-time lens. I think that's going to get a little up close and personal <laughs> yeah, here. Right. So. But, of course, we would have to ask you about your experience with the Mets, what it was like, what it felt like to be a part of the New York Mets organization. Uh, well, you know, I signed with the Mets uh, coming into the 2000 season, and it was very sort of unexpected. I had had a couple of good years in Texas, was uh, comfortable there, had negotiated um, an extension there, put a bid on a house, was all signed, sealed, and delivered. And then uh, Olerud made the announcement that he was headed back to Seattle, and immediately, like in a matter of hours, um, you know, everything changed and it just happened to be during the time of the winter meetings um and i just felt like this team coming off of 99 robin ventura being a friend of mine um mike and i obviously having come from la together uh to the marlins before he came here um i thought they had something special going on and i think i surprised a lot of people in texas and said uh you know what i want to be in new york Mets." so um that was that was the start of it and then it's been um, you know, a huge part of my overall baseball life uh, since then. And with that, coming over the Mets in 2000, you immediately were swept into what became a pennant race. Pennant race you played very well in. The year after that, of course, 9-11 struck New York. You were on the field for the Mike Piazza home run. So even in a short period of time, relatively to the history of the Mets, you were here for some of the most memorable moments. Is there anything that sticks out, particularly in your minds, from your Mets career? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple of them right there, certainly. And, I, you know, I think I played with 11 teams. I played a lot of years. I think I had sort of an identity in some way, shape, or form with the Cardinals, a little bit with the Dodgers because I grew up there, and then primarily uh, here with the Mets. But I think the difference with me and the Mets is uh, a World Series here, 9-11 here, which was a huge deal and a big part of what really kind of bonded me to this city. And then I ended my career here 
as well. So three sort of milestones uh, during that period. But um, among everything that I ever was a part of, um, not just with the Mets, but in baseball, period, um, the aftermath of 9-11, the way the team rallied, our sort of um, being united with the city, and then to have it all sort of culminate on the 9-21 game is the most, I think, um, you know, relevant and important uh, part of my career, uh, no matter, you know, what kind of other things came and went, that was the one that still sticks out as, you know, a, a clear number one. Do you get goosebumps seeing that? I mean, you were on the field, so you got to experience it. I was five years old at the time, so it didn't mean as much then to me because I just didn't really understand. But now watching, it's hard not to get goosebumps. How did it feel to be on the field? Yeah, you know what? There was so many things um, that happened leading up to it and then on the, that day. Um, and quite honestly, you know, two years ago, uh, when we started looking towards the anniversary of it, um, I was asked to kind of relive it for um, a documentary being done. And in so doing, I realized that there was so little of the game that I actually remembered. There was all the surrounding things. I remember coming to the ballpark. I remember the immensity of the uh, the security detail. I remember um, the dignitaries that were here. I remember um, uh, Mark Anthony singing. Uh, the national anthem and the place uh, kind of erupting. I remember the uh, first responders on the field and some family members that I had become friendly with um, at that point. I remember Liza Minnelli singing. I, I had no recollection of how I did in the game or how the game went, except for Mike's home run. So um, during that whole stretch, um, I actually rewatched the game. So you mentioned you played your career for 11 years, starting with the Cardinals. You're managed by Joe Torre, who's one of the most illustrious baseball people in the history of the city. And also when you're with the Mets, you're with Bobby Valentine, who I also say is one of the most memorable managers in the history of this franchise. Yeah, he is. What's, um, give us either like a funny story or a funny memory about either or both of those guys. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, put me on the spot here because Bob, <laughs> Bobby will see these. Um, you know, yeah, I was lucky. Like 16 years, I had 11 teams, a lot of different managers. Joe was my... Um, not my first manager, but primarily my first manager because Whitey Herzog was with the Cardinals when I signed there. Whitey um, resigned relatively early in my uh, tenure there. Joe took over and really was um, a big part of that sort of formative time of my career. And, you know, we locked horns. We butted heads um, initially, and it had mostly to do with the fact that I had been a catcher from the time I was six years old until my second year in the big leagues. And when Joe took over, the first thing he said is, hey, you're my catcher. Don't listen to anything you're hearing. I'm like, hearing? I didn't, I hadn't known anything that I wasn't. <laughs> and so two weeks later, uh, you know, Pedro Guerrero got hurt. I got moved to first base. And I never caught again. So um, during that period of time, it was sort of his responsibility from the organization to make it okay to move me they he had done it himself they used that as sort of this um hey joe did it you can do it and joe will teach you um but we we locked horns on that a little bit and then out of that i think developed a great great friendship he's like a second father to me still to this day um bobby v very different i'll give you a funny story <laughs> about bobby v um i signed as we talked about kind of late um and suddenly and um I, like maybe within days or a week of the the announcement 
in the winter meetings, there was a, a function here in New York that was kind of a meet the Mets thing. And um, I flew in for it. I showed up. I walk in and Robin and Mike and I were obviously friends. Um, I walked in. I walked up to Bobby and, and said, hey, how how you doing? He had no idea who I was. <laughs> Not, and he's like, hey, do I know you? I'm like, well, I said, I'm your, I'm your new first baseman. He's like, oh, Todd, didn't recognize you with the hair and the this, oh you know, but that was the way we kind of started. And, um, you know, Bobby is one of the most unique managers because he's, um, I tease him about this at the time, uh, you know, during the time that we were together. And then since then, especially is that he's one of the few guys that every once in a while you figure like the players weren't even really a part of the game. It was him <laughs> against the guy on the other side, especially if we played the Cardinals and it was Larusa against Valentine. It was, you know, a lot of moves and chess games and the players were just the pawns. But um, he's one of the uh, the most, I think, prepared managers that I've ever, ever seen. We've, uh, we've really kind of developed a fun friendship since then. We've seen a big influx of analytics in baseball the last few years. Were any of the guys then kind of like on the forefront? Was Bobby more of a traditional manager or was he kind of maybe looking at some different stuff that maybe other managers weren't? It's a great question because there were some things that I've heard since I left the game, guys talking about early analytics stuff, but there was never anything that I um, was really that aware of personally because I, I was sort of an old school. I didn't watch a lot of video. I didn't like to see myself hit. I kind of got... A feel for things in different ways and so um, some of the younger guys coming up towards the end of my career spent a lot of time watching video and there was a lot more analysis there was more information uh, being given but it didn't seem like it had permeated from the top down of most organizations at least at that point like from the manager to to the players it was more so an individual with maybe a hitting coach or an individual with a pitching coach, they would look at some certain things. But um, as it's evolved into the game, um, I can tell you that, you know, a guy like Bobby absolutely would take all the information that he could get his hands on, wouldn't necessarily take away from his gut because I still think he feels like you, you have to manage with your eyes. And, you know, as I coined on the show one time your eyes and not your iPad. I think that there is um, some feel for that. And I think you've got a guy here now with Bach that is very much the same. I mean, he's old school in a lot of ways, but he absorbs all the information and, and then makes, you know, choices out of it. Which current met this, this year so far, as you've been an analyst for SNY, has impressed you the most this season? Um, well, I mean, Max Scherzer, I think, is impressive – uh, but it was I expected it out of him in a weird way, right? You'd seen him so much. You'd seen him be so good against these Mets, and you knew his intensity. You knew what he was going to bring. I think the guy that might have surprised me, and there's a couple. I, I've talked a lot about Escobar because I think he's a really good pickup. Um, I, I really like uh, Chris Bassett. I think he's yeah. a very smart, thinking man's pitcher that right. has a lot of um, things to bring to the staff. But Mark Canna has to me, been the biggest surprise because I didn't know much about him at all. And I love watching his at-bats, whether he gets hits or not. He knows what he's doing up there. He drives the pitchers crazy. He uses the opposite field. He gets big two-out hits, two-strike hits. 
and he's a guy that I think just has helped lengthen this uh, this Mets lineup. Yeah, no, I, Mark Hanna is one of the guys that we talk about a lot too, that we love the way that he plays the game, and it feels like the Mets have kind of taken a little bit of a new approach with how they're trying to play this game a lot more, guys trying to get on base, put the ball in play, uh, and it's it seemed to pay off this year. Did you expect the Mets to come off to this hot of a start this year? I don't know if I expected this type of start. Um, you knew that the, 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 the pieces were there, yeah. right? It was a matter of whether or not um, all the pieces were going to fire. And you'd seen in the last couple of years um, sometimes that there was you know, reason for optimism because some of the pieces were doing well, but they were not all gelling at the same time most of the time. So and they, they haven't hit stride, and yet they're still big two-out hits. Oh, yeah. And with, when you have the kind of pitching that they have, and you know if you hang close enough – you're going to find a way to win. That that's the feeling that I get, which very uh, you know much reminds me of the the 2000 team. We we had this ability to kind of stay close and always thought if we're within a couple of runs either way by the sixth, then it was our game to win. And that's the way that this team feels to me. Yeah, I agree. This team definitely has a newfound confidence, something that we haven't seen from the Mets in a long time. How does it feel to be on the other side of things now, be a part of the media as opposed to being a player? Well, I think, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't, I don't know how I would phrase it. I took sort of a, a left turn away from baseball when I retired. I mean, I ended in 2004 and really didn't have any part of anything until about 2015, 2016 again. Um, and I think because of that break and pursuing other things, figuring out um, some other life things, by the time I got back in and was able to put my toe in the water here and kind of welcomed back as a part of this sort of Mets family. Um, I was really ready to be a fan again and um, enjoy kind of digging in. I love the idea of focusing on one team instead of, you know, like I did some things for MLB. I did a few things for Fox and I always felt like I was cramming for a final or something when I was going to do work for them. I didn't know anything about who was playing, you know, second base and double A for the Indians. I mean, I, and, and nor do I want to. I don't care. Um, what I, what I, oh, <laughs> Guardians. Yeah, there you go. Um, what I do care about is this organization. They've been great to me and um, the ownership has always embraced me. So I've been, um, you know, really proud to be, to be back and, and, you know, and I'm excited about what's going on this year. You just mentioned briefly about turning a taking a hard turn away from baseball when you retired in 2004, and we just don't. And growing up in Los Angeles, and you did you got into acting, got into Hollywood. We read an old Sports Illustrated article from maybe 15 years ago yeah. or so yes. that you had um, <laughs> that you had some type of a, a strong friendship with Charlie Sheen, as as wild as a name as anybody could ever hear. And you two even at one point we read this, went to Scotland to yeah. hunt the Loch Ness monster. That's one of the few true things you're going to hear <laughs> to read about Charlie. Um, yeah, you know what? Weirdly, uh, I ha had been friends with his manager who had, uh, there was a baseball connection there. His manager was a producer of um, uh, Bull Durham and the Sandlot and things like that. It was around baseball. Um, but Charlie is an avid baseball fan oh, and God. a student of the game, like really knowledgeable and extraordinarily smart. Um, and when I got out of the game, I did some stuff on uh, on the production side. I didn't really get into acting, but I had written um, the, the treatment for a series. 
And it was sort of part autobiographical, part kind of what do you do after, you know, you've done this for a big part of your life. And um, I sent it over to, to Mark and to Charlie, and Charlie loved the concept of it and said, hey, let's develop this with Warner Brothers. Um, he had, at that point, a good relationship still uh, <laughs> with Warner Brothers. And so it, it literally started like that. We were going to uh, produce and develop this show uh, that I called The Postseason. And um, during that that period of time came Plaza Hotel, Tiger's Blood winning, craziness, the interview in his house that I was there for. And then, wow. uh, and then it was just all of a sudden, it was just this tornado or whatever you want to call it uh, around us that was hard to believe. And in, in that period of time, I think the couple of things that, if there's anything I'd want people to know about that period, myself included, and Charlie, is that was he was a hundred percent sober and clean during that period. Yeah. When he when he's not in the dark place, his mind fires like nothing you've ever seen before, and he gets sort of this manic energy. And it was just firing uh, like crazy during that period. And um, you know, the next thing I knew, I was with him to try to be his balancing piece on that torpedo of truth tour and. Um, you know, my job on that was take him out and t have batting practice, go play catch in the <laughs> lot somewhere, get his mind away from some of the craziness that was going on. And then the next thing you know, he was fired from two and a half men and he said, okay, we're doing your show. And so postseason became something called cell service, which then became anger management. And then there you go. We, uh, we ended up with five years of, you know, that period to the end of, uh, of that run. Oh yeah. No, that's, uh, that's a pretty crazy story to imagine. I yeah, can't even imagine. There's a lot more. The, 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 the other, we, we were, <laughs> we time. did do the rowboat in Scotland, uh, on Loch Ness. It was this weird sort of idea that he had, uh, from <laughs> years before he's like, we're going back there and we're going to go and look for Nessie on the, did you find her? Uh, if you ask him, he'll say that uh, there was a presence felt. I, I think it was just some some bad oaring by me, but um, but it was he definitely had his uh, had his little scotch out there to go with it. Yeah, no, I, I mean that was I think pretty awesome to get to just chat about the Mets, chat about your life for 10, 15 minutes there with the interview. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, really guys. Really do appreciate it. it. Hopefully, it goes we'll have really you back. well, and I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome, thank, thank you. you so much. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, there they were, the interviews. Like we said, they were a lot of fun. The Todd Zeal one, hearing Charlie Sheen stories is always interesting. I didn't expect to do that when we were doing our research. I was like, I see Charlie Sheen. We got to talk about that. No, if you asked me what was the likelihood of mentioning the Loch Ness Monster in our conversation with Todd Zeal, I'd say close to zero. And also it was cool to hear David Cohn talk about how 
how like how much of a positive feeling being a Met still gives him to this day. Yeah, for a guy who played for again a bunch of other teams, it's nice. They still kind of resonates and feels like he is a New York Met, which is awesome. So they felt like home. Yeah, no, it was awesome. So we hope you guys enjoyed those interviews, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Mets of the Podcast. Yeah.